Okay, what is it about Christmas that makes us all want to be home for Christmas? Um, it almost seems wrong to be away from home at Christmas, and, and people go to great lengths, and perhaps in your life, maybe you've driven through a snowstorm, or uh, got paid way too much for a plane ticket, waited in line at an airport, uh, just so that um, you would be home for Christmas. Uh, and it's, it's interesting that it's really the only holiday where you really, really want to be home. Other holidays, you want to be anywhere but home. New Year's Eve, you want to be out at a party. Fourth uh, of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, you want to be anywhere but home. Not stuck at home. You want to be at the lake. You want to be at the beach. You want to be away. Easter, you want to be in Florida. Because that's the end of all the cold and just someplace warm and sunny. But Christmas, we want to be home. And that's interesting because, and perhaps ironic, because at Christmas, nobody's home. Mary and Joseph from Nazareth, they're 80 miles away from home, traveling to Bethlehem to fulfill their civic duty. We've got the shepherds. They're not home. They're working the night shift. Uh, you've got the wise men traveled a great distance from the east to to find this child. And in, a, and in a very real way, Jesus is not home on Christmas. He's leaving his heavenly home with the Father and takes on human flesh, born a baby, come to earth. And it's the holiday that brings us home that we see that nobody's home. And this notion of home is a very powerful notion. It's home's where we are safe and where we belong, where we fit in. And in that sense, some of us, and even maybe some of you sitting here, may not feel at home anywhere. That you don't feel like you have a place where I truly fit and belong, where I am safe. Even this move as a church to be united together as, on one site, for some people, creates a sense of a loss of home. Do I fit in that joined group? Is it safe? Is it my place of belonging. In Jesus Christ, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we get a new home, an ultimate home, a new citizenship, a permanent home. And I want to talk about that today. I want to focus on that today. And I, but I want to pray as we begin. And, and I want to pray because I believe that God desires to do good things as we reflect on his word. And maybe that's for you today. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, as we turn to your word, as we consider who we are in light of who you are, in light of what your word shows us, we pray that you would teach us, that we would respond in faith to whatever you show us. Be glorified in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. So we'll jump into this, uh, these passages of scripture here, but before we, so I want to make two main points about this new home, this new citizenship that we have in Jesus. Uh, but I want to give a little background to the sermon series, uh, Second Sunday of Advent. This is a season where we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world. And we do this every year. We traditionally, churches take the four uh, Sundays leading up to before Christmas to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, that his first coming, his first Advent. And as you read your Bible, though, there's just a very small sections that describe Jesus' birth. But there are vast portions of the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, that describe Jesus' second coming, 
his second advent. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a big part of the Bible. It was pervasive in Jesus' teaching. And um, it's, it's not some little extra weird add-on that we as Christians should think about the second coming. You know, celebrating Christmas is very normal. It was a historic event. We celebrate what happened. We remember. But when we think about his, his first coming and his second coming, we're talking about something that hasn't happened yet, so it can feel strange and mysterious, maybe even weird. But it's not some weird add-on. It's, it's all over Scripture. So it's, it is right to focus on this. So we're focusing on whole sermon series. So Pastor Brian and I last year, we were talking about this. And we said, well, when is, the, when is the right time to preach about the second coming of Jesus? We weren't aware of any particular season. We said, we thought we were pretty creative. We said, let's do this. Next year on Advent, we'll preach the second Advent. So we're going to think about Jesus' first coming, and we'll preach the second coming. This is great. We started to do research, and we found that actually the traditional season to teach about the second coming is during Advent. It's been the tradition of the church about a thousand years. We thought we were being cute and innovative, and we're actually just being very traditional. So we're going to have a very traditional Christmas together as we focus on the second coming of Jesus. And it's all pretty straightforward, I suppose, until we really get into it. And because when we start preaching about the second coming of Jesus, we are talking about things that Christians who take the Bible seriously completely agree on that will absolutely happen. But we also kind of dip our toes into areas where Christians who take the Bible seriously, may disagree on certain events. So what do we agree on? What do we just rock solid? One is that Jesus will return. Uh, and we will, you know, when will that happen? How will we know that's happening? We're going to hit on that later in the series. But Christians who take the Bible seriously, Jesus will return. Uh, secondly, we agree that the dead will be raised, that all who are living and all who are dead will there will be a resurrection of the dead. And I uh, talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, what will that look like? What will it be like? Uh, Brian will be preaching a sermon on that coming up about that moment when the, when the dead are raised. Uh, but Christians agree on that. Uh, Christians also agree, thirdly, that there will be a final judgment. That, and, and again, last week we focused on that, that Jesus came the first time quietly and humbly in a manger to bring his grace. And when he comes and returns, it will be in glory. It will be to sit on his throne. It will be to judge the world. And, and those, the, those who are in Christ and the righteous will be judged to eternal life and the wicked to eternal punishment. But we, as God's people, we can be among the righteous because Jesus makes us righteous. And we talked about that last week. Jesus is our only hope in that judgment. And, and so Christians agree on those things. Christ will return, the dead will be raised, there will be a final judgment. However, there are other issues that Christians don't completely agree on every little detail. Um, the timing of everything. What about the rapture? What, what is that? And again, Brian's going to preach on that one. Um, is there a special thousand-year period of time where specific things are happening? And, we do hope during this series to address some of these issues, some of the more difficult uh, issues. We're not intentionally avoiding any of these things, but we do 
first of all, want to be clear, and we will be most clear on the things that the Bible is most clear about. And that brings us to today's text. And here we see that citizenship played a very important role in the Christmas story. We have Joseph. He is a citizen of Bethlehem. He was a descendant of David. He was from the line of David, actually married. And the Bible goes out of their way. The Bible goes out of its way to describe in detail how both Mary and Joseph are descendants of David. That was very important because the Messiah that was to be born was going to be a descendant of David. Also, the prophets predicted that the Messiah to be born would be in Bethlehem. So the fact that they were descendants of David and had to travel a great distance to register just Here's Joseph just fulfilling his civic duty. But if they weren't doing that, we wouldn't have them looking for a room. You wouldn't have Jesus being born away from home. You know, born in a, you know, this little manger scene over there. Being laid in a feeding trough, a manger. Uh, that we wouldn't have any of these things. And it was Joseph who understood his rights and his responsibility as a citizen that became very important in Jesus' first arrival in this world. For us, as we think about Jesus' second coming, our citizenship is very important in this. And hear these words again. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Two main things that this citizenship means for us in the second coming of Jesus is first, our citizenship creates eager anticipation. Again, we eagerly await the Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And what that means for us today is that we are not in our true home. You will never feel fully at home and at rest until that day. That God made us to live eternally with Him. That God... Uh, Human beings, God made human beings unique in all of creation, that we were made in the image of God. That means we were made to be like God, to be able to relate to God, to have God, to, to be able to know God's spirit, to, to be eternal. Scripture says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men, that we were destined for an eternal home. And it's not just a place. Heaven's not just a place you go, but it's because God is there in perfect fellowship. That's how God created us. He created the world perfect for human beings to perfectly relate to God and, and to relate to the world around them. But sin comes in, and we, people rebel against God, and the world becomes very broken. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with each other, our relationship with our environment. But God is restoring that world, and He's brought Jesus to, to bring forgiveness and reconciliation, that things are being made right, and when he returns, they will ultimately be made right. True justice will be known for all time, and we will forever be in the new heavens, in the new earth, with the Lord forever. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back take you to be with me, you may also be where I am. And that is our destiny, a, a, a new home that's made for us to experience him. Um, so there's two extremes we can take with this now. And I, I just think they're pretty common errors that we could have. One is to just 
obsess over this idea. Okay, heaven's my home, that's all I care about, this world is nothing, and I just, the important thing is that I'm gonna die, I wanna get to heaven, and maybe along the way I can convince some other people to, you know, for when they die, that they'll be in heaven with God, and, and, but everything else is, you know, that's the only focus. But when we live that way, we forget the fact that Jesus came, that we can experience forgiveness now, that we can experience a relationship with God in this world, we can work, create, and love, and serve, and we can speak truth. And you, God is doing all, all wonderful things around us every day now. It's not just a future reality. And if we just are focused on the future reality, we miss what's happening today. So that's one, one uh, error is to just obsess over this future thing. The, the other error would be to ignore it. That, hey, this, is, you know, this world is just what it is. I'll experience God as best I can now. Um, but I'm kind of blocking out this future thing because I don't really want to think about death or judgment or any of those things. Just kind of block it out. But Scripture teaches that if it's for this life only that we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, to be most pitied. It's not just, we're not just... The world as we know it today is not the world as it will be forever. With, with all of its struggles and all of its brokenness... That, that is not, we need to remember that there is greater hope. And the, the hardships, it, even in the season of Advent, things can feel amplified. And you may be feeling struggle and brokenness in this season. Maybe this is your first Christmas away from family. Maybe even when I start talking about the notion of home, that's not a positive notion for you. Home for you was not a place of, of safety and of belonging. Maybe this is the first Christmas after someone has died or after a relationship has been lost or a divorce. Maybe this is a Christmas with financial hardship. Whatever the struggle and brokenness you experience, these things are not the end. There is a future glory. Imagine people who go through life without any sense that things will ultimately be made right. And I've heard people say, well, I don't want a God who judges. Yes, you do. If we don't have a God who judges what is right and what is wicked, then that which is wicked just goes free. It's, it's never made right. And we can see justice in small ways in our world, and we can show mercy, and we can extend forgiveness. But in an ultimate sense, we, we long for the day when it's all made right, when every wrong is made right, when every sickness is healed, when every death is, 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 is brought to life. We want that. It creates this eager expectation. And the ultimate hope of this, and I, this is sort of obvious, but I'll say it, is that we don't have to fear death. We don't have to ignore death. We, we are a church, and we've taught this before, but we, we believe the reality and, and the statistics that the death rate is hovering right around 100%. And... We don't have to freak out about the idea of death because we were created to have an eternal home with the Lord. And that gives us great hope. And that's the first thing. Our citizenship in heaven gives us this eager anticipation that the world as we see it is not the world as it will always be. Secondly, is that our citizenship in heaven means that we get new bodies. Verse 21. Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to, to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies they will be like his glorious body. Our bodies will become like his 
resurrected, glorified bodies. And if you read your Bible, his resurrected, glorified body was pretty cool. Jesus, we read these accounts where Jesus is passing, can pass through walls in his resurrected body. But he wasn't, um, his, so his body wasn't bound by space and time the same way that our bodies are. But he wasn't a ghost, and he went out of his way, and he even said, I am not a ghost, because a ghost doesn't have flesh and blood. Jesus had flesh and blood, but it was a very different flesh and blood than we experience. He was not a ghost, and he's eating, you know, ghosts don't eat, and he's, you know, going out of his way to show them that. Imagine eating, not because your body needs the nourishment, but just eating because of the joy of, of eating. You ever have food so good, you don't want to eat it on an empty stomach because you're too hungry? And you'll know that you'll eat it and you won't enjoy it. You want to have some, you don't want to eat it when you're full either because then it won't be satisfying. But just kind of that middle moment where you just, the right bite, it's so satisfying. That's how we're going to eat forever. Just eating for the joy of eating. And you may say, Pastor, that, that sounds lovely. Um, I'd love to walk through walls and I'd love to do these kinds of things. That is the most irrelevant thing you've ever told us. As, as fun as it sounds. Because I am just hurting right now. My body, that's not my body. So meanwhile, that's the tension we live in. We groan. Our bodies are groaning. Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We do groan. Our bodies, we struggle with physical things. And it is, it's constant. And I know, every small group I've ever been a part of, every prayer group, whenever it's time to pray, the, some of the very first prayer requests that we hear are people who are either sick, or have loved ones who are sick or facing surgeries or other struggles. Why? Because we know that this is all in God's hands. That our bodies are decaying and we trust the God who has the power to heal today and will have the power to heal ultimately when we get our new bodies. This is all God's hand. And my, I'm just so mindful of those who struggle in their bodies. My own father, he, he is in a lot of pain every day of his life. And he's struggling right now. And this week he has a big procedure coming up on Friday. We hope it will resolve, at least in some way, some of his issues. But he's in a lot of pain. He's very limited. And I pray for my dad. And I pray for people. I've talked in the last month talking to people who have cancer, who have Parkinson's disease, who have ALS. People who, whose, whose bodies are, are hurt for other for reasons of grief. And depression. And, and we do lose people in death. Uh, but we have a context to understand it. Think of people who have no context to understand death. People who just become angry with God. Or just who just dismiss even the notion of God. But we as God's people are called to live in this tension of the, what Christ has already done. And what he is yet to do. So in that tension, what is it about your body? What don't you like about your body? Maybe you are ill this morning. Maybe you are injured and you're dealing with that. Or maybe you feel ugly or embarrassed about your body. 
Maybe there's something that you can't do with your body that somebody else can, and that hurts. Or maybe you just feel out of place. Wherever your body is, you just don't feel like you have that place. And I tell you today that our bodies are not quite right, that we are going to feel these things, because we are not home in this body. And it's all of us. My, and the way my body is broken and the way yours is broken is going to be different. But this is our everyday advent. It's already, but not yet. There is the great promise of a glorified body, yet in my body now, here I live. So does it matter, though? Like, does it matter really how I use this broken and struggling, decaying body? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. Because God is transforming this body to be like Jesus' glorified body. It's not some other thing. It's not new. It's, it's a transformed thing. So because this is our body, well, the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The body that you have today, as broken as you experience it, is something that God made. It is something that Jesus Christ bought with his at the cost of his body and blood on the cross. So he redeemed it, he bought it. And the Holy Spirit lives there as we put our faith in him. Therefore we honor God with our body. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, we make it our goal to please the Lord, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Meaning, if we're in our earthly body or in our transformed, glorified body. Because we're responsible to God for all these things he's entrusted us with. So your everyday decisions regarding um, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will smoke, what you will, uh, how you will move, the things you will touch, the things you allow your eyes to see, the way that you put your hand to good work, this is all your body that God made, that Christ redeemed, and that the Holy Spirit lives in. It's very important. And that's our everyday advent. In spite of your struggle, we have hope and a purpose. So we have an eager expectation, and we also have the hope of a, a glorified body. So just in conclusion, it is hard to hold these ideas in tension, to think about the once coming and the future coming of Jesus, to think about the already but the not yet of his kingdom. Uh, but the good news is that even though we live in this present evil age, and even though our bodies groan and break down, yet we are citizens of heaven. We eagerly await Savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our future. That is our hope. Let us pray. Father God, to become like Jesus in his resurrection, and to know what it would be to have a, a glorified, resurrected body, we know that we have to become like him in his death. And for us, that means dying to ourselves, dying to our sin, in all the ways that we seek to do life without you, all the ways that we go against your way and against your law. So we, we repent. We pray your forgiveness. We thank you that it is available to us. May we die to ourselves and may we live for you. By faith, we receive what Christ has accomplished. We receive that new life and the great hope for all that of eternity that he secured on the cross with his body and blood. May we all Cling to that. May it create in us this beautiful, eager expectation. We thank you for the hope that we have. We pray all this in Jesus' name.